Well, church, it is good to be here today. Um, for those of you who I don't know, uh, I'm Pastor Steve Winstead, and we are in the midst of a series we are calling Foundations. And what we're looking at are the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and we're doing so for a very specific reason. You see, if we don't understand the foundations of our faith, it's hard to fully understand who Christ is, our need for Christ, why he came. As we go through foundations, we begin to understand why is our world the way it is? Why is there disease like COVID? Why is there conflict? Why is there fear? Why is there insecurity? Why is there a value in human life? All of this comes from the first 11 chapters of Genesis. We saw in chapters 1 and 2 that God created man and woman in his image. We are the only thing that God created in his image. We're created in his glorious, magnificent image to reflect it to the world. And that's beautiful. That's why each person, why all human life has infinite value. That's why even this month as we talk about Orphan Month, we see that the orphan has value and worth. They're made in the image of God. Yet we see that because of the fall in Genesis 3, that that image was shattered, that this entire world aches and groans, and it feels the pains of the fall, that sin has entered the world. But in the midst of the fall, we see a promise that God made to Adam and the Eve in the midst of a curse, that someone is coming. That's where the hope is. Someone is coming who is going to restore and redeem and save this broken, fallen world and save fallen humanity. We see a picture. They offer a lamb, an animal, a blood sacrifice that your sin and my sin requires a blood sacrifice. Our sin demands death. That's what our sin deserves. You and I, we deserve death because of our sin, yet God in his rich mercy doesn't give us death. Not immediately. He allows Adam and Eve to live. And last week in Genesis chapter 4 and 5, we saw Cain and Abel, the first man, his sin grows and it grows to murder. That's what happens with sin. It grows. It leads to destruction. And we see the very first conflict in the history of humanity is between two brothers who cannot get along. Between one brother who's upset and he kills his brother. Well, then we see the line of Cain grow. It's a line that is without God, and the line of Seth, who replaces Abel, it grows its line with God. And we came last week to a verse in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We see a godly man named Enoch who walks with God. That's a picture of who we're to be. We're to be those who walk with God. And Enoch, he, gives, he has a, a, a son and his son is named Methuselah. Now, if you've heard of Methuselah, it's probably from a trivia question. Who's the oldest person to ever live? Methuselah. He lived 969 years. The earth's conditions were different at this point in time, and people lived much longer. 
but his name. Do you know what the name Methuselah means? It carries this idea. When he dies, judgment. When this boy dies, when Methuselah dies, God is going to bring judgment. And God, in his rich mercy and his rich grace, allows Methuselah to live longer than anybody else. Because God is always slow to bring judgment. God will warn humanity over and over again, if you don't repent, if you don't turn, if you don't change, judgment is going to come. And it's only after the hardness of humanity's heart refuses to turn that we will see our God bring judgment. And this boy Methuselah, he'll have a grandson his grandson is named Noah. I have a son named Noah. Noah is a story that if you've grown up in the church, undoubtedly you've heard it several times. Where I'm from in the United States, when people give birth to a baby, they'll often decorate their baby's room with animals and an ark. And I've always found that quite interesting. Decorating a baby's room in a story that you think is cute with animals and an ark when it's the judgment of God upon the hardness, hearted heart of man. He's judging sin. He's bringing death and destruction upon the world. This is a story that's a hard story. Yet we often miss that. It's God in his goodness and in his grace renewing the earth bringing judgment upon it. So today we're going to look at this story that's familiar to many. And in it, what we're going to see is how the ark provides salvation for the righteous and how it pictures salvation for you and I. Throughout the Old Testament, this is one of the things I love about God's Word. God has put His Word together perfectly, just like He wants it. And throughout the Old Testament, you see pictures and types of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, the ark's no different. The ark that will save Noah and his family, that'll save eight people, it's a picture of ultimate salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. So we're going to be covering chapters 6 and 7. We're going to read together chapter 6, verse 11 through 22. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 11, down through 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 500 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make, an ark, make a roof for the ark and finish it 
to a cubit above and set a door in the ark in its side. Make it with a lower, a second, and a third deck. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wife with you. And of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take, the, take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. God, your word does say that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. This is the word that was preached to you. So, Lord, unless you speak, we know nothing of significance we've spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, when we study the Old Testament, there's this misunderstanding among many that God is a God of judgment in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, he's kind and loving and grace-filled. That's a misunderstanding of Scripture. The person who will speak of judgment and hell more than anybody is Jesus Christ. Because he knows that's reality. And throughout the Old Testament, we will see God's grace and mercy and forgiveness cover the pages of Scripture. As soon as we see mankind take a step in repentance to confess their sin and turn back to God, God always withholds judgment. But it's in the hardness of man's heart that God says, your heart is hardened. You have asked for this. I've warned you over and over and over again, and judgment will come. God is graceful. He is merciful. Now, in Genesis chapter 6, I didn't read the first part, but in the first eight verses, we see a very peculiar story. It's an event that happens that scholars, uh, evangelical scholars who believe the Bible is true, interpret in some different ways, yet there's a unifying factor I want us to get. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took them as their wives, any they chose. Something happens here. Something within marriage, within God's design for marriage, that goes against the way God intended it to be. Now, there's a few different viewpoints on what happened here. I'm going to give you the two most prominent very quickly. If you want to study this more later, I would encourage you toward it. The sons of God marry the daughters of man. There's something about that that brings the judgment of God. 
Know this. Marriage is sacred. God designed marriage. And any time a Christian marries a non-Christian, that is stepping outside of God's design for marriage. For those of you here that are parents, grandparents, those that disciple young people, make sure they get clear on this. You don't marry outside the faith. Two become one. You yoke yourself with a believer. Scripture is clear on that from front to back. And here, the sons of God, some believe those were the Sethly godly line, and the daughters of women, of man, were the Cain line. So you would have godly men who trust God marrying women who do not trust God, and that, that brought the judgment of God. Another view is that the sons of God were angels. Not just angels, but fallen angels. And that these fallen angels married earthly women. And that this marriage brought the judgment of God. After them, they have a, a children that are called the Nephilim. And we see it there on the earth in that days. And they rule and cause problems. What you need to know from the beginning of Genesis is that it is a marriage problem that will finally cause God to go, judgment is upon. I've been patient. You've taken my design in marriage and you've twisted it, you've perverted it, you've turned it into something else. Church, one of the things that we always need to champion and labor for is strong, healthy marriages. The enemy wants to get into your marriage, married people. He wants to mess up your marriage. Single people, the enemy wants you to settle. Say, well, he may not be a Christian, but after he dates me, he'll become one. We don't believe in evangelism dating. We believe in evangelism, but we don't do it through dating. No. God's word is clear. And here in verse 3, it says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Look at the rich mercy of God. Judgment's coming. You've got 120 years. And if there had been a significant repentance at the preaching of Noah, God would have withheld judgment. That's God's pattern throughout the Old Testament. But Noah preaches for a hundred years and gets zero converts. Nobody responds to the preaching of Noah. Now, some of you, you're like me, there's times you're wondering, God, it, are you using the word I preach as I declare the gospel to people? God is over that. He's good. You keep declaring. God allows Noah to keep on preaching. In verse 8, chapter 6, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, his name means rest. Beautiful name, rest. And it says he found favor. That word in Hebrew for favor can also be translated as grace. This is the first time in all the Bible that you see the word grace used. God is going to destroy the whole world because man's heart is hardened, yet he sees one man who is repentant, 
whose heart is soft to God, and he goes, I'll extend grace to him. He will receive my favor. And believe me, if there had been more like Noah, they would have received the same grace and favor that Noah received. I love that his name means rest. Perhaps that's what you're craving. Perhaps in the midst of a heightened and more stressful situation, you're going, if I could just get some rest, then I'd be okay. Maybe if I take a nap. Maybe if I get a break from my labor. Maybe if I get some rest. And believe me, we need those types of rest at times. But those types of rest are woefully insufficient for what your soul truly needs. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you Noah, is what he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will give rest. I will give Noah to your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, know this. There's only one place you will find rest for your soul. That's in Jesus Christ. He says, take my yoke. A yoke is a, a heavy thing that two oxen will pull. And when you design a yoke properly, the stronger ox carries the weight. And the weaker ox carries lesser weight. When you yoke up with Jesus, he carries the weight. His burden is easy. His burden is light. He won't put more upon you than you can walk with. That's where you're going to find rest. So for those who are feeling the stress and the burden and the heaviness of our day, there is no place you can go to find the rest you need outside of Jesus Christ. And here in this day, we see this man uh, named Noah, whose name means rest. And down in chapter 6, back in Genesis, verse 14, I want to show you ten things, ten ways that the ark provides and pictures coming salvation that's fulfilled in Christ. So the ark is going to be a picture. It's going to actually provide salvation for Noah and his family. But it's also a picture of salvation that is to come. Look at this in verse 14. It says, Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. The word here for covered is the Hebrew word kapur. Maybe some of you have heard of the phrase Yom Kippur. That means the Day of Atonement. Each year, the Jewish people would offer a blood sacrifice, and the Kippur idea was to cover their sin. God covers our sin that deserves death through blood. And here he tells Noah, cover the ark. The ark must be covered with a pitch. Just like you and I. You can't come and stand before God with your fig leaves like Adam and Eve did, your own works, your own efforts. You can only stand before God covered by the blood of the Lamb. Our salvation requires a covering that you cannot achieve, you cannot earn, you cannot get on your own. The only way you can be covered in a satisfactory way 
is by the covering that God provides himself through the blood of the Lamb. And here, God tells Noah, cover the ark. Kippur, the ark. In verse 15, he says, this is how you're to make it. It's length 300 cubits, breadth 50 cubits, height 30 cubits. This ark is built in a way that it has sufficient room. There is enough room on the ark. And let me tell you, for all who will come to Christ, Jesus tells us, in my Father's house, there are many, many rooms. There is plenty of room in the house of our Father for all who will come. All who will trust in Jesus, there's plenty of room. And in this ark, this ark is 1.4 million cubic feet. I've seen research that says it could hold 125,000 sheep. Now, if you drive through our city, you see sheep all over the place. We're very familiar with sheep. So the ark is big enough for 125,000 sheep. Scholars estimate that there are 18,000 species on earth today. There was 18,000 more that have gone extinct. So in Noah's day, there's perhaps 36,000 species. You double that so that you can take a male and a female. That's 72,000 species. And then you have to take clean animals. That takes it up to 75,000 animals. Remember I said you could fit 125,000 sheep? So Noah, he might, have, might not have taken the daddy hippo and the mama hippo, but he took baby hippos, maybe baby elephants. What you need to know is there is enough room on this ark. The ark is sufficient to save all who will come. Jesus' blood is sufficient to save all who will come to him. Verse 16 says, Make a roof for the ark and finish it a cubit above and set a door in the ark's side. Noah, make a door for the ark. One door. Not two doors, not three doors, not doors from all sides. One door, Noah, because there's only one way you're going to be saved. You, in faith, have to walk through the door. You've got to trust that you walk through that door and it's going to lead to life. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way to come to God. And that's through Christ. Our world doesn't like that message. You know what? Our flesh doesn't like that message. Our flesh wants to believe that there are many ways to God. You can be a good person. You can be religious. You can be kind. And you can come to God. But that is not what Scripture teaches No, Scripture teaches there's one way, there's one door, one way to approach God, and that is through the blood of the Lamb, through Jesus Christ. If you're going to get on the ark and you're going to live, you've got to walk through the door if you're going to live. Verse 17. It says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Again, this isn't a feel-good story. This is a tragedy. And here's what happens. Everyone will feel the judgment. 
No one will escape the judgment of God. No one likes judgment. Children don't like it when their parents discipline them. We don't like it when someone corrects us in any way. No one likes any form of judgment. But the reality is we will all be judged by a righteous, holy God. And the only way you can stand before a righteous, holy God is to go, I trust in His blood. I trust in Him. I I don't deserve anything. But He's paid the price. There's only one way to approach God. We'll all face judgment and it comes through Christ. In verse 19, And of every living thing, Of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort unto the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. And then he goes on through and he says, According to its kind, two of every kind shall come in to you. They're going to come to you, Noah. Noah doesn't have to go and gather these 75,000 plus animals. He's not out there trying to wrangle them up, get two of any kind of animal. No, Noah sits back and trusts God. Noah, build the ark. Noah, preach the message. God draws the animals. And know this, the animals, they obey the voice of God. They come at the sound. So fifth thing that we see about the ark, how it provides salvation, God draws. Get this. Brother and sister, our job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to go into the world to declare the good news of Jesus. But ultimately, God is the one who has to draw a person. You boldly declare the gospel. God draws. God brings them in. He does the work. Takes Noah a hundred years to build this ark. And in verse 21... Chapter 6, it says, Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Here's uh, the sixth thing we see about the ark is God provides. God's the one who meets your needs. You need rest? You're going to find it in Christ. The food you eat? God's the one who ultimately provides it. Shelter you have, God's the one who provides it. The clothing on your back, God's the one who provides it. God is the one who provides. He meets the needs. Down in verse 16 of chapter 7, skipping quite a bit, 16 of chapter 7, it says this, And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. God closes the door. Have you ever seen a door on the side of a boat? It seems like a terrible idea. A door on the side of the boat, it has a high potential to leak and cause the boat to sink. But God says, put the door on the side because I'm closing it. You're safe and secure with me. God's the one who secures you. Jesus said this in John chapter uh, 10, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Know this. For those, and I believe it's many here today, and I pray it'll be many more, who've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ. You are safe and secure in His hands. No one can snatch you out of His hands. You are fine. So come what may, 
the storms, the conflict, the difficulty, you're going to be okay. You're going to survive the flood. You're going to survive the disaster. You're going to survive because of Christ. You are secure in Him. God closes that door. Verse 21 of chapter 7. It says, And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Everything died. Unless you were on that ark, you met destruction. You met death. You know what the word ark means in Hebrew? It's the same word for a coffin. You want to live? Walk through one door and die to yourself. Get on that boat and die. And you'll come out to new life on the other side. Jesus, if we're going to live, he's going to go to that cross and he's going to die. And they're going to put him in a tomb. And when he rises from that tomb, you and I also rise because we're in Christ. We trust in Christ to death. Also notice this ark, it has no rudder. In verse 24, we're told the waters prevailed for 150 days. This ark goes wherever God directs it. A rudder is what steers a boat. Ark has no rudder. God is in control. In our lives, oh, you may think you're in control. You may try to control your life, but ultimately God is the one who's in control. He's the one who guides and directs. Don't try to take over the steering wheel. He's leading. He's guiding. He guides that ark. And the tenth thing we see about this ark, that's a picture and a provision of salvation. This ark had to be one of those foolish things you've ever seen built. Noah, in the middle of the desert, building an ark out of wood. Most believe nobody had seen rain up until this point. Water's nowhere near, and everyone's laughing at Noah. What are you doing? You think that's going to save you? You're trusting in that ark? It seems foolish. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Know that the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, will always appear foolish to those who are perishing. It'll be laughed at. It'll be mocked. Oh, but to us who are being saved, to us that God is bringing redemption, it is the very power of God for salvation, and it is glorious. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in a message that the world declares foolish. But it's the very power of God. So church, as we leave here today, there's going to be plenty of reason to have fear, to have concern, to have doubt, to have stress, to have anxiety, to have confusion. But realize this. Our hope isn't in this world. Our hope isn't in human solutions. Our hope is in a Savior. Who is going to come back? Our hope is in a Savior who has plenty of room. Our hope is in a Savior who has secured those who are His. Our hope is in a Savior 
who the world calls foolish, yet we recognize he is the very power of God for salvation for all who believe. Church, may we be those who believe and may we be those who declare this message. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the story of Noah, story of a flood. Forgive us for how we often try to turn it into a cute, feel-good story. It's what sin deserves, judgment, death. That's what our sin deserves, God, and we confess that we are a sinful people. Yet, Lord, our sin has not defeated us. Lord, we have victory over sin. Not because of who we are, but because we have died with Christ. We have entered the tomb. We have walked onto the ark. We have died to self in order to live with Christ. And Lord, if there's any here today who have not trusted in the good news of the gospel, may today be the day that you save them, you awaken them to the truth of your message, the good news of the gospel. Only you can do that. But Lord, may we be faithful to boldly, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. And Lord, may you be faithful to save. We trust that you will. Remind us that we are secure in your hands because this world wants us to feel insecure. Lord, we rejoice that we are not left in our sin, but we are victorious. We can live in victory. We have victory in Christ. So may we walk on the other side of death in eternal life that comes through Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.